following program may contain coarse language, suggestive dialogue, and discussion of violent imagery and sexual situations. It is intended for mature listeners who can tell the difference between facts and opinions. It's time to retire this discussion on this episode of the Toonami Faithful Podcast. I am your host, Sketch, and with me I have... Happy Crow Kitty, editorial writer for ToonamiFaithful.com. And... Editorial writer, VLordGTZ. And a special guest. It's me, Grant, the special guest, who wasn't sure if he was going to say his name or if you are going to say it. <laughs> so there was a pause. <laughs> Hey folks, how are we? <laughs> you wouldn't know it, but I'm on many podcasts. <laughs> All You're podcasts have splendidly. different rules. It's okay. Uh, now, when do I talk? No, but seriously, thanks for having me on, guys. <laughs> thanks yeah, for being thanks, on. Thanks for being on. You're quite welcome. You're going to learn to regret it, I, I swear. <laughs> okay. Worst decision so, we ever made. So like it's, it's my you. understanding that uh, you've you've been handling the uh, reviews of episodes of Blade Runner Black Lotus for uh, Anime News Network. Understand correctly. I have been doing those reviews. So, yeah, I've been doing those every day. And in, in addition to my other duties, which include reviewing One Piece and uh, whatever isekai monster girl harem of the of the quarter gets thrown my way you know (laughs) (laughs) you know whatever happens sometimes you got to jump on a grenade for the team you know you gotta (laughs) well at least you get to review one piece exactly you know but there's a i get to review one piece i get to do the fist of the north star manga and then i also have to you know i have to I have to, to pay the devil for my fiddling skills. You know what I mean? Like I got to risk this transaction. Sacrifices have been made. Yeah. You know, <laughs> my editor comes a call and I can't say no. <laughs> mm-hmm. But no, it's good to be here. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for being here. So yeah. it's a, uh, it's, it's time to discuss the final two episodes of Blade Runner Black Lotus. It has been quite a journey that we have been going on since November. And uh, I'll, I'll put it out there. I think these last two episodes are pretty solid as episodes themselves. Pretty solid. How they factor into the whole, we'll get into that. <laughs> but before we share our thoughts, uh, let's go ahead and do a, a little play-by-play of these last two episodes. I'll try to keep it brief. Really, not a whole lot happens in these two episodes other than two really long fights. Mm. So that kind of helps. But uh, at the end of episode 11, uh, Elle had just been slashed out of the tank where she was supposed to lose her memories by Water Lily. And the two of them are staring each other down. So at the start of episode 12, Artificial Souls, Elle and Water Lily duel until some LAPD officers bust in, which allows the two of them to escape. And Davis confronts Elle and says that she could testify against Wallace and that she had found the uh, the bodies in the desert. And, you know, she's kind of changing her tune here. 
But L still doesn't trust her and says, you know, you have your way of doing things. I have mine. And, you know, runs off. Because she, she like, straight up walks right by her as she's holding the gun at her. Like, you're not going to shoot me. I know you. And she's right. She didn't. And then Davis decides now's a good time to call up her uh, superiors, whoever the acting chief of the police is right now, and tell them about Wallace Jr. And as she's attempting to do that, she is stabbed by Water Lily from the back and collapses. And it looks pretty bad. And then Water Lily hangs up the phone and calls Wallace Jr. and says, hey, I could go after her. And Wallace Jr. assures her, all children will return at some point. Don't worry about it. Meanwhile, Joseph is waiting in his apartment for Marlo, who he called in the previous episode. And Marlo arrives and they have a very short chat before Joseph decides to attack Marlo. And the two of them have a very long shootout that has them going from his apartment into the uh, atrium of the complex. And they keep uh, exchanging words and bullets. And at one point, we finally see the truth regarding uh, the death of the songstress. It it was actually Marlo who shot her, not Joseph. Celine. Yeah. How about that? And this whole conversation that they're having while shooting each other, Marlo rebukes Joseph, telling him that he shouldn't be falling in love with skin jobs and there's just he should just go find himself a real girl and he shouldn't be ruled by his emotions and they keep fighting and eventually joseph gets his shoulder shot and he has to escape into an elevator and uh then they start doing some hand-to-hand fighting until in the middle of a struggle uh, marlo drops his gun, and Joseph grabs it and manages to shoot Marlowe several times, finally shooting him into some glass into the atrium to fall to his death. Bye, Marlowe. Well, thank God. He's kind of a dick. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes, he was. Then Joseph passes out in exhaustion and dreams. He dreams of being on the grass, looking up at the sky with with L, not not his lady friend. From I his really flashbacks. thought that was his death scene. I was convinced that that was it for him. It was quite sad. Maybe it should have been because, uh, yeah, <laughs> that no. L wakes him up from this dream, and he is confused why she doesn't. Uh, why she still has her memories and she says you know people face tragedy and keep on going and I I think I can do the same and he's like okay well he thinks you're dead so you can just leave the city but L tells him no way this isn't over until I end it and that brings us to episode 13 time to die where L infiltrates the former building of the Tyrell Corporation, disabling the guards on her way to Neander Wallace Jr., who is inside the office. And then she finally confronts him. And 
he waxes poetic about how wonderful it is for a creator to talk to his creation and for a creation to talk to his creator. And he's, oh gosh, he's such an anime villain. <laughs> the dollar store late at this point. He really is. Because he further explains that everything she's been through was all according to Keikaku. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's that's exactly what happened. <laughs> she was his angel of death sent to clear a pathway for him to ensure that he got to where he was and that she got to where she was. Meanwhile, Joseph is in the lower parts of the building uh, attempting to destroy the facility using detonators. And... Uh, as they're having their conversation, eventually Wallace Jr. tells her that, you know, I only have room in my heart for one, though. So now you two are going to fight it out. And here we have the final battle between Water Lily and Black Lotus. And it goes on for quite a while, and they destroy some vases that look very expensive. <laughs> as uh, Wallace Jr. kind of slinks away to go find where Joseph is trying to destroy the facility and uh, Tyrell's archives. Eventually, L manages to uh, sort of beat Water Lily, like kind of put her out for a moment and goes down there and finds that Wallace is kind of has Joseph by the throat, more or less, and she confronts them. And then Water Lily shows up again because she wasn't knocked out for long. They fight again. Elle manages to sort of win again. And at this point, Wallace Jr. decides that his other creation is actually a failure. So he <laughs> kills her himself. <laughs> I'm not surprised he did it. <laughs> not, not in the slightest. So now L is face to face with uh, Wallace Jr. And Wallace Jr. is like, you know, I can offer you the one thing that no one else can. The love of your creator. And this makes her want to kill him, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> this is the second time she's attempted to do so and does not succeed. I feel like if anybody says that to you, a natural response is to want to cut their eyes out. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I would say so. <laughs> and of course, us being aware that he's blinded by the time that we get to uh, the next Blade Runner movie, know that he's going to lose them eyes at some point. <laughs> Might as well be now. And sure enough, after L fails to kill him the second time, she sheaths her sword, closes her eyes, and then slashes his. Hmm. She did the thing. And naturally, that looked very painful, and he, uh, you know, falls back in pain. And then I'm not really sure what happens after him. I swear we don't see him after that. Like, did he run off blind? I, I don't guess know. so, because, like, when Elle looked back, like, he, uh, she didn't see him anymore, so. Yeah, that's, oh. what, that's, that's what I was going to observe as well. She, she looked back to see if he was there, and he was gone. He turned into a log. Poof. Speaking of uh, looking back and finding somebody gone, apparently that also happened with uh, Officer Davis when uh, Lily was done talking to Wallace Jr. She looked back and Officer Davis, who was just stabbed through the gut, 
is gone. Huh. Probably lived. In the future, they have Ubers that'll scoop you up off the sidewalk, so. <laughs> That's true. That does seem to be the case. <laughs> or at least ones that you can, like, hide in. Good old Uber for all your flesh wound needs. <laughs> ah! Yes, yes. Need to make a dramatic exit from your finale. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Uh, so what's left? Well, Joseph still needs to do the detonation. He's talking to Elle when says that he's real sorry about hurting her all these times, and she assures him that she only has good memories of him. Of him, specifically. And uh, Joseph still feels the need to atone, so though he makes it seem like he's going along with Elle to escape the building, he eventually pushes her out of the room, seals the door, and sets off the detonator as he collapses. That all seems very unnecessary. He could have just walked to the other side and then. I don't think I don't think he wanted off. to. I no. don't think he wanted to. I think he was he was done. I think I think he was suicidal. Yeah. I'm, biting, I'm just biting my tongue until we finish the recap. Really. We will uh, we we will debate whether or not that is good motivation, but <laughs> it's not. That's uh, that's that that's how it happens, you know. <laughs> that's that's how it happens, and uh, <clears throat> now the fallout of that is uh, Officer Davis returns to work in a wheelchair where her colleagues are very supportive. Like, hey, you're the only person I know who could go on leave and come back with a bullet wound. Like, I was stabbed. <laughs> well, you're going to keep your nose clean now, right? Yeah, I'm going to stay out of trouble. Great, guys. Great message. And the now blind Wallace Jr. talks to a worried secretary and assures her that despite his father's death and sudden loss of his vision, the company will not be set back. He hangs his <laughs> hangs up and faces the window, stating that he sees limitless possibilities. Kaka will never fail him again. That's that's <laughs> all he sees: limitless possibilities. And Doc Badger, remember him? He barges into Joseph's apartment, searching for him and L, and only finds L's sword. Nice of her to return it, but I don't know if that was necessary. <laughs> And with that, Elle leaves Los Angeles driving out into the desert on Joseph's motorbike. But a lot of people are saying they thought they saw somebody else on the bike. No, there was a second bike. Oh. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. I just assumed that was another person on the road. I could have been. I, I don't know if that's even meant to mean anything at all. It was just it's just something something that's there. It could mean nothing. So this long story of revenge finally comes to an end with uh, only one person who was involved. Well, two people who were involved, technically three, still alive. Yeah. <laughs> we are left to wonder what becomes of Elle. Hopefully a happier life. Certainly a happier uh, ending than I was expecting from something from Blade Runner. 
Yeah. yeah. I think the ending for Elle was meant to be ambiguous. I mean, what there's always that question of what do you do after a revenge quest, you know? And, and, and a lot of different revenge quests will approach this by having the person seeking revenge die because they've committed, you know, murder, just, just like the people who did against them, presumably. And so there can be no happy ever after for them, or there's some kind of, some kind of attrition, but, but, um, the ambiguous, you know, now she's done. Um, she doesn't have Joseph, who's the only other happy memory she has. So she just goes off to, to try to do something else, I suppose. And it, it, it seemed appropriate. I think ambiguity worked for her character arc at that stage. I would say so. Uh, but let's talk about Joseph. Poor sad soul. It is a sad story. But I, I, I feel like his whole reason for atonement is almost entirely ruined by the fact that he wasn't the one who killed the songstress. Like, that just really messes up the motivation of that, I feel. Yeah, but he didn't protect her either and he he feels responsible i think i think by the time he got to celine he was already deteriorating and and the job had worn on him mentally because i don't think i think when when you have one singular event that it, it's more of a catalyst caused by new numerous other events and i'm sure there was like a backstory to him obviously he was this incredible blade runner and then he just quit and lived in obscurity in a hovel, you know, sorting trash and technology. Like, it, it sounds to me like a man who's very, very depressed with life and just doesn't have a lot of reason to keep going. But even then, like, that death is not satisfying at all. It's like, it's, it's kind of lame. <sighs> yeah, I feel yeah, like it would have been cooler if he died when he was fighting Marlowe. Yeah, I, I guess it's, it's a couple of things. Like, I mean, on the one hand, I mean, is it not the modern mood to be like, okay, I give up, I'm done. Like, I get it on that level. <laughs> like, yeah. we, we live in the dystopia. You don't need a, an excuse to clock out. So it's yeah, fine. I enough. guess it's kind of a multifaceted thing for me. So a lot of my issues, I guess, with this is that, not you know, Joseph's ending is a, a good case study, I guess, here. Like, as you mentioned, he's not like, okay, he was a Blade Runner. So he clearly did a lot of horrible things to replicants. I think we can assume that. But just in terms of what we see on screen, right, we see him, we really only know him as this kind of empathetic and sympathetic character. Yeah. And he doesn't even do the thing he's regretting. So atonement feels kind of weird and hollow in that sense. And he's mm-hmm. only, he's really only been good to L. I mean, he's been distant and kind of closed off, but like we as the audience feel no ill will for him <laughs> like at all <laughs> and even the kind of the whole flashback about or the the dream sequence right where he's like envisioning a life with l mm-hmm. like even in these final moments he's not like if it were to be the the singing girl from the cafe we can think ah he regrets it doesn't he l can't replace what he lost and what he gave up right but quite mm-hmm. literally in his own mind no l has replaced that uh and then even in the moment like uh uh evil mcemo pants has already gotten his eyes cut and, and bolted like they can just go 
But Joseph's like, no, this has to end in a Hollywood way, which involves somebody shutting a door and someone else banging on the door and running from an explosion. And so that's what happens. And it's like, whoa. <laughs> so it's You're it's emotionally right. unsatisfying. There's no immediate need. I mean, he's like hurt. But if dude can get his eyes cut out, run away, and then get him repaired later, you know, and we're in the sort of vaguely dystopian future, I'm sure they could get Joseph somewhere and help him. So he's just like, no, I'm just I'm just done. Because somebody needs to explode or this won't feel dramatic enough. <laughs> and I just, it feels script. really hollow. It, no. Yeah, it's like, look, this is the final episode. Somebody's got to be in an explosion here to kill the enemy base because that's what we're doing. Right? You know what would have like, been good if Waterlily did it? Yeah, there'd be some, re- I mean, I, there'd be some redemption, I guess, or, or something different. I don't know. Like the, there's It would have been cliche, but. Well, I mean, listen. Or if she had finished off joseph that might have added an extra element like if i'm dying i'm taking someone with me yeah like something you know or or if 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 she hadn't if when i don't know something i don't know anything like there's not even really a clock in that moment like other than the dude could still be around i guess but l will just kill him if he gets close so what's the pressure i don't understand really joseph's role in that entire last episode just feels unnecessary like why is he even there he was injured before he came and yeah, then, like, he blows he up all this up. stuff, and we already know Wallace Jr. has backups of all this replicant information. Yeah, what? I don't... It's just, like, so it's really hollow. The logic for it is really rickety, and it's not satisfying. Like, yeah. I would I would accept a more emotionally satisfying ending that was less logically sound, right? Like, ah, sure. Joseph was just limping too hard, and they got out okay, and then they went off together into the into the wild and unknown. Or maybe even he just says, hey, Elle, I, I can't get over what I've done. I can't go with you. You have your own path. I have to... I have to spend the rest of my life not just drinking and wallowing, but maybe making up for the things I've done. That also would have been, a, I think, actually a terrific ending, maybe handling consequences. But most of how the show handles characters is just killing them. It's like if Elle meets yeah. somebody, they die. It, like, that's really all there is to it. So, except Doc Badger, because he's going to be in the movie. Yeah, except Doc, <laughs> who really wasn't even in the show. And <laughs> Davis, who we thought was dead, and we don't know as a character at all other than she is a police and that that was a curiosity i thought officer davis i by the last episode i mean part of i was glad that she was okay but then i i left really wondering what was her contribution to the whole show i kind of felt like what did she add to the question (laughs) her story (laughs) went nowhere yeah no disrespect to the work Uh, they put into their character but it, it felt like, like we need, I, I don't know. It was a bit, it was, it just didn't really work for me. Even, even in earlier on in the series, when she was in episodes, I just wasn't really sure how that was going to contribute, except, you know, add this extra element of, of, okay, there's, there's a, there isn't just cops and, and, um, and good guys, bad guys. There's someone who's trying to sort this mess out, but it never really came to real fruition. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, you expect, of course, that that the Walls Corp had 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 covered all this up, but like that that also didn't really come out as part of the finale, and and so I think Officer Davis was just an extra character that really wasn't needed. They could have spent mm-hmm. that time focusing more on character development for the other characters, since if they were going to just have it be about Elle's storyline, and or even put more time into Joseph's development, maybe. Or Wallace's development. I don't know. Which, by yeah. the way, 
Wes Bentley did such a fantastic job with his voice. I still, I really enjoyed his voice acting in that. He gives me the creeps and it, it was, it was awesome. It was a good <laughs> anime villain. <laughs> I felt in that very last line of the episode that he did, he was really, really channeling Jared Leto. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, Davis, again, it's like, what did she show us that the, the Cops are corrupt early on. We saw those scenes. I could have told you that. We're blade and blade, right? I could have just guessed that, right? And then later she discovered there was corruption and she was trying to call and tell somebody. She's off the force. So you're like, oh, when she's off the force, now she's really going to cut loose. No, she basically just carries on like a detective. And then she calls (laughs) in the corruption and the the response is like, meh. And then she just comes back to work. Like, <laughs> I don't understand. Like, what are we doing here, folks? Like, what? Uh, other than, I guess, making it that, like, um, uh, uh, White Lily or whatever, the other assassin girl was just not very good at her job. Other than that, I don't really <laughs> understand what it showed. Like, what were we doing here? This, again, could have been screen time for yeah. one of the other characters that survived, of which there are very few. So it's like, it's kind of precious time. Like, I don't, I don't understand what the intent was here. Like, what were we hoping to show? Waterloo's really not good at her job, seeing as uh, Elle managed to kill lots of people. Yeah, Elle, the body count in this show is, I, I guess that's really my fundamental problem here at the end, is like, the body count is so high for basically anybody. If you get in front of the camera, you might as well have like a target on your forehead. Like so, a Jack Reacher novel. Yeah, like it's literally, it's 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 like a spy thriller. It's like, hey, here's the information. And they just, you know, it's like these people that have, have you know, they're in spy movies and they have lunches in restaurants that have like really clear glass windows and then they just get shot up, right? Like, you know, they're going to die. Everyone dies in the show. And so it makes the world feel really, really small. And that puts a high level of pressure on the remaining cast who don't die, of which there are very few, right? You can count them on one hand, Doc, Davis, L, and um, and and uh, emo pants, Wallace. Like of them, Davis isn't really a character. Doc wasn't really in the show, and Wallace is the bad guy. So like it pretty much all rides on L and Joseph. But then Joseph's ending is really unsatisfying, and. We really only like discovered who he was as a character like two or three episodes ago, like with the the whole thing, like his background with Marlo, like that episode, I think, should have happened way earlier because it would have added a lot more dramatic irony to the scenes between him and Elle other than just like he's this weird guy who she sometimes asks exposition questions of and he just doesn't give her any answers. (laughs) It's like, you know, I I don't know that that it's so light on the ground. Hmm. So everything is resting on. Crucial backstory coming in late in the game. Where have I heard of this before with a Toonami original? (laughs) (laughs) So I just, I I guess the the payoff for me for some of these reveals aren't worth the time that we waited to get them, right? Like, like if you're going to throw me a big revelation at the end, like, oh my God, I see dead people. And he was alive the whole time. (gasps) That is a huge recontextualization. Like, but the, the payoff, like the payoff for like finding out that Joseph has like a very direct regret over how he handled like kind of his final replicant i should have known that the whole time so that like his interactions with l had like a certain sadness to them but like i find out right at the end and then he dies in like a kind of a hollow way it's like (sighs) you're not giving me much to work with and l's character other than who am i and katana like who is she really (laughs) like i I, i'm genuinely i don't know who she is and i you know uh, She's just running around and getting people killed or killing them. And so, 
Like I just <laughs> very empathetic assassin. Yeah, right. I mean, I guess that's the thing. It. She, I kill people, but I feel bad about it. If this, I guess, if this was just called like a Black Lotus, a cyberpunk story, I don't think I would have as many qualms with it as I do because it's a very kind of. It's fine. Like it's fine, but it's just kind of an action adventure cyberpunk like kind of Hollywood thing, right? Like, I mean. L kills her way to the top of two skyscrapers full of bad guys. Like twice in this show, we do the diehard dread raid thing where it's just like, I start on floor one and Katana my way to the top. Like that's fine. But if it's, if it's called black, like Blade Runner, like I kind of expect, I don't know, a little more maybe musing on dystopia or something, but it's just like, Hey guys, have you ever seen purple lights over vaguely smoky streets? Like, whoa. Yeah. I, I have know. to I have to say I mean I agree with most of you're saying except for the last comment about musing on this dystopian world I think it was done it, it was done but a lot more subtly you're meant to question what is humanity and you see those signs through every single episode when you see people behaving in ways that show a complete lack of humanity there is no empathy they're cruel they're they're they commit heinous acts and then you see l i mean she she garners sympathy in in so much as that she's asking for she's trying to to get her revenge but put her aside the the, the behaviors of the humans are quite despicable and then you have marlo um he he's stoic through and through and that whole last interaction with joseph he he puts it out there that what do you need emotions for which is it's blatant stoicism he he he's just exhibiting what you know is, is supposed to be i think the antithesis of humanity he's he's just a machine he's just a gun and and that he has this he has this big shotgun and you know it, his dialogue doesn't even matter because he's just serving a function and I think that that the the point is the viewer and this is just what I got from it is meant to sort of question like well are the replicants really the inhuman ones or really the people that are supposed to be the creators more or less they're the ones who are showing the most inhumanity through all of this and I I I liked that that challenge and and we're seeing you know th thinking about what empathy is and what a soul is and no it wasn't it wasn't waxing poetic and it wasn't very philosophical with heavy dialogue with these questions but i don't think that would have made it good i think these are the types of things you kind of have to glean through subtlety and and through observation and the sort of minimalist way they did it made you made made it thought-provoking in a different way because it would have been really boring to have them just have these long, drawn-out conversations about this. Like, what makes a human human? What makes a replicant not human? What gives a person a soul? They say it, and then and then that's it. And then you're left as a viewer kind of thinking about, well, what do these things mean? How does this impact, you know, what I how I see these characters? And that central theme, I would say, does tie well into the Blade Runner mythos. Mm -hmm. So in that regard... I think this functions as a Blade Runner story. Does it function well? Debatable. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't. I certainly don't disagree with anything you just said. I think that's all clear and like I, all that is textual, right? Um, I, I guess it's just the focus. All of that could also be said about pretty much any generic Hollywood action film. You know, it's like, oh, the politicians are corrupt and the cops can't help you. All you can trust is your weapon. <laughs> And like it, it feels it's so run and gun. L, we never even have time to learn 
what has been lost. I, I think that's key to a dystopia. We have to get a window of like what, not just people who are bad, tons of, of you know, of action media, which essentially this is, it's fights every episode, guns and katanas and all that stuff. Like it's action media, which has plenty of nihilism and bad people who need to be killed. But like, we don't even get a window into really what's been lost. No humanity. All we know about Elle is someone gave her a tattoo and she'd like to find out who that is. Like, it's like we spend most of the show with where's like, where's the sadness? I guess it's just, it's just action scenes really. Uh, mm. To me, like where, where I'm sitting from, like there's there's not really much musing even on like wh- what about the world before, right? Like what like where's the like sense that the past was better and the future is horrible? I mean, people are bad, but people are bad in a lot. Of, I, I, I guess to to my for my money, L spends so much time running and running and running and running and running that and fighting that and there's so much time. She's running and things. she has a blade. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm okay. <laughs> quite literally, you know, it's like, or even musings on like, you know, how are a human you know, other than like replicants aren't trying to kill humans and humans are trying to kill replicants. We don't really have too much of a sense of why rep. I mean, clearly the replicants are, are the better people here, but like, but, but why, right? Like show me, I guess, show me a little more. That's why I feel like the episode with Joseph in the, in the cafe, like seeing, the girl sing, seeing that the replicant sing, like there's something like there's some art and some beauty being created and something being taken away from him. Like there's some loss there. Like here's some beauty, watch it be destroyed. Yeah. <sighs> I don't but feel. To I, be I fair, in, they in, don't explain right. that in the original Blade Runner why they feel the need to kill replicants. They don't really give a reason other than that's their job and they're there and you have to get rid of them. They're these are the leftover ones. So. I, the 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 whole act of retiring them isn't ever explained throughout any of the films and 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 yeah I think this was this was supposed to be either either standalone or tying in so you have to kind of look at it as as that this this series that can either provide the bridge to the storyline or be something on its own so if if the first movie didn't explain then. You know, I wouldn't have expected this series to explain that either. So what I'd argue against that, though, is I feel with Black Lotus, everything just feels very surface level with it. Yeah. Like, the bad guys are just bad for the sake of being bad. And none of the characters are really explored well either. So it's just frustrating to see because, like, aside from being connected to Blade Runner name and, like, characters, it really doesn't feel like Blade Runner because of that because, like, Grant said, like, you see this in, like, dystopian and sci-fi stories all the time. And if you take out the Blade Runner name, I can't really feel like this does anything different. Yeah, and I guess I, I would agree. There's a lot that's unexplained in the original Blade Runner, but it's also a 40-year-old film that that really set the mood and the tone and the aesthetic, right? Like, I mean, if Blade Runner... What is the grand, I guess, comedy of most media post-Blade Runner that tries to do cyberpunk is that everyone... That all these all these media properties looked at Blade Runner and went, wow, I love the vibe, but didn't dig much deeper into the actual dystopia. Mm-hmm. And I don't... Like, here, it's like, ah, smoky streets and purple lighting. Like, you know, yeah, maybe the original Blade Runner was a bit light on the surface at times. It also, I don't think, was anywhere near this action-heavy. I mean, I just... The constant fighting in this, I just, I just kind of felt like, is this what we're doing now? <laughs> but like, 
you know, if now, it let's did, be like, fair, at least a third of the episodes involved a conversation in a, an apartment. Sure, that's fair. <laughs> I won't take that from it. But I mean, or think about okay, the first Star Wars, right? Like Episode Four. Yeah, not much is explained. It, it, it's it's just, it's throwing out visuals. It's it's got characters. We're running. We're going. And then maybe Empire Strikes Back can can grow it, right? Can, we can grow the universe a bit after that because you know we were we were kind of moving quick. We had a lot to cover in the first one. So like if you've already got this film that has done all that kind of surface level stuff, you can maybe dig a bit deeper. Or if if nothing else, do, you know it is hard in a twenty minutes a week. Only 13 episodes. That's not really that much time. Like, you have to work with what you got. Tell a really personal story. Like, mm-hmm. Joseph's story should have, I really feel like, uh, that should have been earlier on. And really, we could have played with this tension between Elle, who's on the run, trying to find out who she is, and Joseph, both wanting to help her, but not wanting to lose her and also wanting to make up for what he's done. There's some tension there. There's some real, there's a powerful personal story there and they just didn't tell it. So we could get in, we could have more scenes with people yeah. with machine guns getting cut up with katanas. And I'm like, what are we doing here? Episode, <laughs> like, <laughs> I think you're right about that. That could have been episode five and six where she spends most of the time in his apartment. Mm-hmm. That would have been a perfect opportunity to have, moments between them and story development between them and relationship building that, exactly. that really strengthened that bond. Mm-hmm. I remember those were the two episodes I watched and I was like, Oh, nothing's happening. Exactly. <laughs> nothing's They're... happening here. Come on. Give me some tension. Yes. That, that Where's I, will the tension? Agree with. <laughs> I, I will agree with. I, I, I will point out, you may have mentioned to the lighting and this, this jogged my memory that the very last episode, um, completely changes the lighting sequence and that it's all done in the daylight, which, which kind of like you see the sun rising and it, it gives a completely different aesthetic and feel that there's Mm. an element of finality to it with the sun, the sun rising finally in what's normally very dark because every single episode happens in the dark and at night. And then the final episode happens in light. I, I loved that directorial choice a lot. I thought that was, that was really elegant. I love when, when they play an anime, when they play with lighting to set mood, um, and, and they did a good job with that. You know, all the, the plot holes aside, I thought that that was a good choice. Yeah, I like the lighting choice, but also it made me realize those rigs really do not look good in, like, non-dark lighting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the devil in the details. But at least the, like, the last few episodes, I can remember settings. Like, Wallace's office, it's, of course, very kind of eliciting this. He's talking about being the creator. His office is bright white with open windows, and the columns were kind of evoking this kind of, like, heavenly celestial feel, and you're at the top of the world. But, like, that's a distinctive locale, whereas most of the show, you know, it's just really, really dark places to hide the rigs. Like, you know, again, it makes the world, because there's no distinctive texture, it's just offices and streets. Like, the world feels small. It doesn't feel like there's that many characters. The ones that are there either don't have the development or it's put in the wrong places to remove tension. I just, there's so many missed opportunities here to, to like do something, you know? I Maybe just, that is kind of the point though, the small, the smallness of it, showing that with all this industrialization, people get lost in the muck and the mire while you have on top big corporations like Wallace or the LAPD, you know, they seem to be rising above all of it, but fact that everything takes place in these dark alleys which is probably where the majority of the citizens live in this world i I think that i think there's a kind of a hidden message there in a way i don't know just just my opinion (laughs) 
Which everyone I mean, has one. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, like I, won't, I won't disagree with that. I guess it's just like, again, I, I've come from my perspective, having enjoyed a lot of cyberpunk stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've been, we were, we were telling stories like this, playing Shadowrun back in the 90s, you know, like yeah. the Dark City streets, working for the Megacorp. It's like, this is, I mean, you're not wrong, but it's like, we've kind of done this. And it's got Blade Runner in the title. I'm kind of expecting a, a little bit more than, a little bit, I, I guess a little more depth, you know what I mean? Like I was, I, maybe that's my expectation, but it's like, if I see Blade Runner on there, I'm like, I'm in for something. I'm in for an experience. And I just kind of got, again, this could be really any cyberpunk thing. Definitely the, the Blade Runner versus Blade Runner element could have been a lot more upfront because that actually makes things really interesting. Having Joseph on one side and Marlo on the other, if they had made that conflict drawn out over a few episodes... I think I would have enjoyed that a lot. Yeah, we don't really get, you would think with more of a, like a Blade Runner conflict, we'd get some insight into different approaches and stuff, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like, I think Marlo is probably one of the best characters in terms of efficiency. Yeah. That's, again, another problem I have with L. I don't want to complain the whole time, but like Marlo, for as little as we see him. He's he got does what see- he's supposed to do in the right. story. Like he's mm-hmm. a, he's a functional character, but he's got a very distinctive look. He's got a distinctive vehicle. He has a distinctive fighting style, and his fight choreography, which is basically ninety percent of his character, reinforces who he is to the audience. And then some of his fight scenes with L, particularly, are some of the better moments in the show because the the fights are well done. They're kinetic, like they're really well choreographed, and the mm-hmm. again the, the animation works works great in those moments when they're fighting. Like all that feels really good. And Marlo is the best villain in those scenes. Yeah, there, there's some other stuff, I guess, problems around that. But like, Marlowe is probably one of the better characters, the more distinctive characters. I wish his final fight against Joseph wasn't such a letdown. I I don't know. Like, he's got all these great like he like anytime it's Marlowe versus L, it's like this is it. This is a great moment. Like, you know, top three stuff. And then like his fight versus Joseph is just like I'm gonna walk at you and talk at you, and you're in cover. And that's and then we, like I don't know. Like I I was really expecting a lot more out of that fight and got. Not, I didn't get much character revelation. Like, if characters are pinned down by each other with gunfire, this is when it's time to start at, get, doing a bit of exposition between dramatic reloads of your weapon. And I didn't feel like we got enough of that. And then uh, that's just kind of it. I don't know, which is a, another disappointment I have. But Marlo is definitely one of the better characters in the show. He also dies, but he's one of the better characters <laughs> in the show. <laughs> he, he needed to die. It would not have been good if he lived and sure, never else died. Sure. That all tracked. Everything with him tracked structurally. Like he, he yeah. did. Ex- he was used exactly how he was supposed to, and it all worked. Like Marlo was fun. Marlo gets a, a check from me. You know, we're, we're good with Marlo. Officer, Officer Davis, though you you you've been nixed in our in our <laughs> fantasy retelling of this. Yeah. You would not be in it. There's so many Sorry. things that are frustrating about Davis. Like what what is the message here? She she sticks her neck out. She gets stabbed. She probably is paralyzed, and she goes back to work and is like, "Okay, yeah, I'll stay out of trouble now." What's the message here? Yeah. It's a terrible <laughs> yeah. message if it's anything. Yeah, I mean, she, there's clearly corruption screen. in the police. Uh, like we all know that. So, what <laughs> it is is what she has eventually decided. Has she made up her mind to fall in line? <laughs> She there's a vague, you know, sequence where she's kind of looking at the screen and looking at pictures on her lap on our computer of of Neander Wallace Jr. But I'm like, I don't know what that means. I don't know what to do with this. 
theoretically, right. if there was more to her story in some other media, then maybe something would become of it. But what we have here, Jack Diddley, she finds out <laughs> about this big conspiracy, can't do anything about it. That <laughs> goes back to work. It goes back well, to work. You know? can't it's, beat him. <laughs> it's... And it, it feels like her character hey, is almost... they're paying for the insurance for that wheelchair, okay? The character <laughs> is true. Yeah, that's, that's true. true. <laughs> the real dystopia, right? Like, it, it, it feels like the character is written in there just so that she could do the recap in that unnecessary recap episode. Yeah. And that's frustrating. And the, cynic, the cynic in me says, uh, uh, we just need another female, preferably one of color. You, you know what could have been is instead of making that a recap, have it so that you don't see the perspective on the quote unquote bad guys. And then Elle's doing her thing and then have officer Davis figure out the deeper connections going up to the top tiers. And she reveal that, you know, the, via like a, the, the film noir detective finale reveal where they have all the villains in the room. She didn't have to do it that way, but you know what I mean? Like where she's like, mm -hmm. this is what happened. And that would have been cool if they had like made those connections a little more obscure and, and, and had some better, better story writing there. You would have made, made her more useful as a character if she was actually doing like deeper investigating and things that the audience didn't already know about. But, but otherwise she was just not an efficient use of time for the series. Right. No, no, she really wasn't. And like the last act that she does, why did she choose right then to call her supervisors and tell them about this? It's did she not know about it before that moment? Clearly not. So why? Just just why? <laughs> Was it because she realized that she wasn't going to be able to get Elle to come in and tell her side of the story? Uh, maybe that's a flimsy reason, but just just not a good use of a character. Yeah, see, I guess that's the other thing. Like, she's all, she's, remind me, she was cut off the force then, right? Like, she wasn't, she yeah, was on, technically, she, she was, was on um, suspension. Right. Yeah. So, like, but, like, I guess that's the thing. Like, the, it feels very perfunctory. Like, many things in the show, it's like, okay, at the end of the series, there's an explosion, right? Or uh, there's got to be a cop character, right? Like, it just feels like generic decisions we're making here. So, she's just like, oh, there's a cop character, I guess. So, here's a cop. And, like, even when she's, quote-unquote, off the force, what does she do when she finds out something? She calls her supervisor? I, like, I don't... <laughs> like, we're not... Like, this is the point where, if you're going to have a cop character cutting them off the force, like, this is the time, like, okay, now we're going to see who they really are, right? When the pressure... Mm -hmm. they, don't have the, they don't have the force at their back. They don't... But they don't have the regulations and stuff. It's not, now it's time to see how this character manipulates and operates, and she just does what she'd do. Like, if she was on the force, wouldn't she call her supervisor? I don't... Like, I don't know. It, again, another missed opportunity that kind of wastes our time, and it just... <sighs> big, another, uh, another letdown. I don't want to be all negative, though, but I just... <laughs> there's, there's... Yeah, there's, yeah. There's, there's a lot here. And the, the other thought I had is... Did she really have to kill so many people from this doll hunt? I mean, there could have been less people from the doll hunt or something. Just they spent so much time with it being, I find this person, I kill them, I think about it for a while. She doesn't she doesn't murder anyone in the last episode. I don't know if anyone observed that, but she she disabled the guards in, yeah, in yeah. Wallace's oh, office. Oh, that's she, uh, like she one episode. Sure. <laughs> 
I'm pretty huh? sure in uh, prior episodes, she mostly just incapacitated people as opposed yeah. to killing them. The, I think the only people she actually killed are the ones that were involved in the doll hunt. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, you know, her own code of honor or whatever. But it it just felt like they spent too much time on that. Though, admittedly, I was pleasantly surprised that they managed to wrap that up faster than I thought they would have based on how many people were involved. Like, I, I thought even the, uh, the the latter half of the series was going to involve her trying to take down Wallace Sr., but no, that happened almost instantaneously. <laughs> because his people are so, so stupid. <laughs> yeah. I feel like you got to get me out of here. No, sir, you're safest where you are. <laughs> get him anywhere like get him in a helicopter take him to another state she's not gonna fall she doesn't have the resources moving you's a whole thing sir we'd really rather not um we'd, yeah we'd really just, rather not i had a long night hey, helicopters night. are dangerous yeah, yeah a <laughs> lot can, a lot can go wrong when you try to involve a helicopter i know i've seen <laughs> enough matrix movies <laughs> and die hard <laughs> yes sir we don't we don't we're not ready for a dramatic encounter on the helipad right now we prefer a dramatic encounter in your office okay <laughs> yeah uh, i see i guess the final battle is another one that i have issue with because it's it, like sorry i'm just complaining okay so one of the few things that we know about l is that she is a fighter right but mm-hmm. I, I feel like the whole show is trying to well not trying i mean she is a sort of a desperate runaway character right like she's trying to find out who she is she doesn't have a lot of resources or training. She doesn't really even know who she is. She's just trying to survive, right? But she spends most of the series as a katana-wielding assassin and a really, really good one. Um, I mean, obviously, Wallace designed her to do all this. You know, that's what we learn in retrospect. But like, since she never spends any time going like, wait a minute, like, why am I such a good killer? Like, why am I so good at this? And... You know, like she doesn't really fight desperate. She she fights like an assassin. So there's some cognitive dissonance. And like, I guess I would expect, I guess, more desperation. I get, you know, like think about like how fight choreography can tell you about a character, right? Like, you know, the way, say, Jackie Chan will fight in a lot of his movies, right? Like, even though he's technically winning the fight, like he's he's doing all this kind of goofballery and using his environment and acting clumsy, right? Like, you know, that that tells you about who he is, even if he's winning just as much as, you know, a sort of uh, someone who's supposed to be like a more trained martial artist or something like you see it like with the when she's fighting White Lily and White Lily stabs her through the hand. There's the probably one of the best moves she does in the whole series is she she just pushes her hand forward down on the blade. Right. Like that's an act of I mean, she's still winning and she's taking momentum in the fight, but it's, it's pure desperation. Right. It's like I'm not a tr- like I'm just I'm going to do whatever I have to do to survive and to win. And she, she, you know, she pushes her hand down the blade, right? Great stuff. But then what does she do? She like flips it around, runs away from White Lily, runs up the wall and does like an overhead drop attack thing. Like, so the crowd will pop. Like, I'm like, what are we doing here? <laughs> like, like you could have her defeat Lily and not make it like, like, does she have to be like a, like a, like a special forces commando killer in every single moment. Like it, it feels like we learn at the end, Oh, I designed you this way, but she was never really wrestling with it the whole series. So it just feels like she just feels like, well, the hero would just ace all these encounters. And so the hero does, and it just, it feels like dissonance. And again, maybe if we had either some, like her wrestling with that 
or maybe the reveal that Wallace crafted her to do a certain task and she could struggle with that earlier in the series. Maybe, but instead she's just kind of a stone cold killer, really. Um, I made an observation watching that last fight, and I think it was one that Wallace, you, you see while he's observing them fighting, at some point he he frowns and then he walks away and leaves them. And I think it's because my, what I observed is that she was purposefully fighting defensively and it and it she making the sounds of like I'm struggling because she was trying to stall for time. I think that she knew she knew exactly what was going on. She's stalling for time so Joseph could detonate and Wallace knew something was up. That's why he sees them and he because he know he can tell that she's the superior fighter. And she reason she's a superior fighter is because she has drive. She has the drive from her memories, her 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 revenge quest, fighting for her friend, wanting to live and not be retired. Like she has a drive that Waterlily doesn't have. All Waterlily has was obedience. And it's classic in a lot of these a lot of these uh futuristic and science fiction films where the the creatures that only have obedience to thrive on end up failing because they have nothing else to to keep them going and she she did so she was always going to succeed even though it would have been challenging because she had something more to fight for she had something to fight for and something to fight towards mm. That's, uh, I love the fight choreography. I'm I'm there for the crazy Assassin's Creed type moves. Like, <laughs> give it all to me. CGI is perfect for that kind of fight choreography because it, it with with you know obviously it's tsunami, so we can't have live action versions of that, and and it's a lot more expensive to do so for reasons I can't contemplate or understand. <laughs> but but I, I mean I've I've seen increasing amount of action heavy with beautifully choreographed martial arts in some of these animated different animated features and i love it i mean it it makes a difference as opposed to just flashes where you see character ah stab and then the dragon ball z where you just see rapid punches and that's all you see which by the way i really don't like like i i'm here for it yes it's improbable and impractical but that's what she was made for and it makes it really exciting is you, you kind of get amped up watching this action you don't know what move she's going to do next and man that girl can throw a knee to the stomach like a boss Holy shit. I could hear that. I could feel that in my soul when she kneed <laughs> that woman to the stomach. I was like, oh my God, I think my ribs cracked just <laughs> watching that. It was amazing. I, I love the fight choreography. Like if we get down to it, Toonami is about action animation. It always has been from, from its output outset, even when it was showing things that weren't just geared towards adults. So this is a venue CGI is perfect for action animation, and it did a great job of doing that with with at least that aspect. Okay, so I get I I think that makes sense. Like from the fact that, like this is a Tsunami show, and obviously like it has to have like a good amount of action. But for something out of Blade Runner, it felt like you had too much action, and I think that ended up like making me a bit exhausted with it by the end because like. It felt that I was just looking at a bunch of fight scenes back to back at that point, and there wasn't really much story there anymore. Yeah, that that was basically my experience. I was like, again, every episode is all these. Like, again, the the action itself is probably some of the best parts of the show. I, I like, I, I mean, like, I love martial arts films and 
all kinds of like I, I, action choreography, all that stuff. Love it. And it was really well done. And again, probably the show's strongest point. I, but again, it, does that feel like Blade Runner, I guess, to have action scene after action scene after action scene? And then again, sure, it's it's not uh, it's tsunami, so it has to have action. But there are ways that writers and creators can can deal with. Okay, how do you deal with a character who uh, has a lot of power, right? You, you have them say something like, you know, how, how can I do that? You know, whoa, whoa, you know, after they completely ace everybody, have them say something like. How was I able to do that, right? Like, of all the questions Elle has, she never questions that ability at all. I thought she did at the beginning. I seem to remember at the beginning when she kind of... She her, did a her little muscle bit memory, in, like, the first episode. Yeah, her muscle memory sets in, and she's like, what just happened? Like, that's... She does question it then. But, I mean, how much how much time is she really, you know, does she really need to do that? Like, she, she was trying to survive. She realized she could. And it was like, well, okay, so... That must be part of what my memories are missing is how I have these abilities. And maybe she's programmed not to question. I, we just, but <laughs> I guess the other thing, like we reveal, like she spends so much time replaying certain memories, right? And like wondering who is that person? Who is, you know, what happened? Who was behind this? I guess it, it doesn't feel like that all feels natural, right? Like you wake up in the middle of nowhere, like, where am I? What's happening? Ah, why are these memories coming back? All that seems fine. Like if, I guess what I'm saying is if tomorrow four people came at me and I suddenly pulled out a katana and won that fight, my question would be like, how did that happen? <laughs> uh, I don't think I should have been able to do that. And I would be, I'd sit with that for a while. And if it kept happening, I'd probably keep sitting with it. Like, I don't ever remember learning to do this, you know, like, especially when things like memory and, and purpose and like, you're, I don't know, that feels to me like a rich vein to explore. But since it's not like, since it's not really explored until the end, right. Where it's like, Oh, I made you for this. So we just are just, I guess, do we just kind of sit with like, well, she's just like, there's really not much any tension in many of her fights, except when it's Marlowe, when it's Marlowe, there's a real sense of desperation and back and forth. Other than that, she pretty much, solos anybody who she comes up against and it's like uh you know it doesn't it makes the the um the effort to hide what happened feel a little toothless because she's just gonna kill everybody in town so she doesn't reflect on it yeah i don't know it's missing that like sense of anxiety that the fights in the blade runner films have we're like mm. Yeah, like, you obviously know, like, your main character is going to be fine for the most part, but it's, like, I feel like, especially 2049, which had more action, there felt like there was this constant struggle where it wasn't, like, just completely one-sided, while in Black Lotus, yeah, like, I, I never feel like L is on, like, the losing end. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, unless it's Marlo again, like he, yeah. when he's there, like, I think their fight with the, um, one, I guess it's one of probably the first time they meet, uh, when the piano's involved, like, you know, like that's one of the first times she's really challenged and, you know, it feels like she barely makes it out of there. There's that great, all that stuff with the piano back and forth and the shooting and rolling, all that stuff is great. Right. And it, and it, it, to me reinforces like she's up against the trained opponent and she's just some kid on the run and she survived. I mean, she gets away basically unscathed and that's fine. But like, I, I felt like, oh, wow, something might happen here. Whereas room full of guys with machine guns, you know, whole skyscraper full of goons. Eh, 
it's no big deal. And for for a story about someone who's on the run, you know, and trying to figure out what happened to them, and and when it feels like when, when I'm supposed to feel like the world is against her, but she can kill everybody, but basically one person in it, I don't feel the tension as much, right? Whether it's maybe there's one line here or there, but like in terms of just the the week to week experience, I'm like any room she goes in, she's walking out okay, and it's basically true. <laughs> you know what that made me think of is um, the new, the remake, the Square Enix remake of um, what's her name? That female heroine who does the gun toting archaeology. Um, oh, Tomb Raider. Tomb Raider. Yeah. And, and I, I, that one where um, the, the protagonist gets her ass kicked constantly. I mean, she comes out of it. She, she's, she's a good fighter, but she keeps getting her ass whooped and she gets beaten up like every other minute. And I just remember sitting there like cowering on the couch. Like, oh my God, that looks so painful. And I'm like thinking maybe they could have traded a little bit, like her giving Elle a little bit of her ass whooping and then Elle give her a little bit of invincibility. Right. They could even out that for me. For both yeah. of them. <laughs> and I, I guess that I guess that's really it. It's a matter of presentation. Like, for example, like I don't know, take so it, I don't know, take someone like Bayonetta, who she could be fighting a seventeen-headed super god who's like, my name is Ultra God. I killed seven Jesuses on my way here, and I'd be like, Bayonetta's walking out of this just fine, and that's okay because Bayonetta's character is I'm the coolest witch ever, and I have forty-five guns in my heels, and like. That's her character. Like, I buy it because it's a, it's a ridiculous action thing, right? Like, it's like some dumb action hero who's, it's not, I'm not really here to feel, I'm here to feel cool and she's supposed to be cool, right? Like, she's supposed to do all the flourishes and, and do all these quick kills on, you know, be not afraid angels. But like L, like if you're, if you're selling me on the tension of, um, of her being alone, but I, like, I never feel like she's in danger because she's just going to kill everybody in sight. Like, she accidentally kills people a couple of times. <laughs> like, <laughs> like the body, if she shows up, she's walking away from every fight. And that would be fine if I wasn't supposed to also kind of buy, like, week to week. I, I think about, like, um, Lord of the Rings, right? The way they just, like, wrote out Tom Bombadil. Because, like, they were like, we can't have a character who just goes, oh, a ring? I'll make it disappear and then bring it back. And uh, who cares? Because they were like, well... Yeah, maybe there's a lore reason for that, but like you have to sell an audience on like 15 hours of movie of we have to take this ring to this one place to get rid of it. And if we have a guy go, I can just get rid of it whenever I want, it deflates the tension, right? Like, so mm. uh, it, having her, like, if you want me to buy week to week, if we're not going to have characters that stick around, if the ones that do stick around are kind of flat, like, and there's no, you know, again, if I think if there had been some earlier tension, from like the Joseph episode to make those longer stretches in the middle have some emotional weight to them that really should have been there instead of just like long pauses. Um, like, and if it's like, okay, we're going to do some, we're going to do fight scenes every single week. Like, you know, I, I don't know. Like I'm never stressed when Goku's in a fight. I know he's going to win, but that's his character. He's Goku. He's going to win. Right. Like I, sh I should be stressed. I should, I should feel like, even if L wins every time I should feel at least for a moment, like, Maybe she's not going to make it out of this one, or maybe maybe she's going to have to. It's going to cost her something, and I just, I don't really feel that. Like, I, I, to, for me anyway, it 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 wasn't it wasn't happening. At no point did I feel like she was in like real danger, except again that first fight with Marlo, or the the other fight with um. The other fight with Marlo, where uh, like they end up in that kind of like garden area in the skyscraper mm -hmm. in the first skyscraper fight. Um, but even then, I feel like we kind of 
like she Joseph's doing sniper cover and she's running down a hallway and there's like 40 dudes shooting at her. And when Joseph shoots a guy, she does like an aerial and like blood splatters on her face. And I'm like, yeah, this is cool. Like, is this really Blade Runner, though? Like, are we really like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, again, we're... she's running with a blade. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you're, you know what? You got me. You got me dead to rights on that one. I just like, are we doing a cool action thing? Like, are we doing, you know, are we doing um, um, like ultraviolet or are we doing Blade Runner? Like, it just just oh. be real with me. Just 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 be real with me. That's all I'm asking. <laughs> Can't be doing ultraviolet. They already had an anime. <laughs> oh boy, the one that aired on MTV, right? Uh, actually, I think it was G Four. God. Uh, now there's a name I haven't heard in a long time. Yeah, I mean, uh, are you sure you haven't heard it in a long time? Because it came <laughs> back. Oh no. <laughs> oh yes. Please tell me it's not like an NFT thing. Are they doing like G Four NFTs? Please say no. Actually, don't I, tell I me. Don't I don't think they are. I, I I don't think they're doing anything. <laughs> okay. Anyways, well, then, like, this really goes back to the fact, like, if you took out the Wallaces, I feel like Black Lotus wouldn't feel like Blade Runner, like, at all. Hmm. It would just with feel the, like a cyber With the exception show. of the question of, you know, what makes replicants not human. I think that was a consistent theme throughout the whole show. True, but it's a consistent theme in Other lots stories. of sci-fi media, so there's that too. Right. Yeah, oh. I guess. Well, sorry, go ahead. I'm not even sure, like, the more I think about it, like, what what makes Blade Runner Blade Runner besides its aesthetic, besides that it created this whole genre of cyberpunk sci-fi and, and dystopian future, like, what is Blade Runner aside from that, then? Because if if we're really saying this isn't Blade Runner, then how how are you defining the deeper world of Blade Runner beyond what what is the visual aspect of it and the the fact that is as we stated that there were so many recreations afterwards for the 80s and the 90s and the 2000s or where different series were trying out the same themes it was because it was based off of those visuals and that's what makes it so memorable so what makes this not what what makes blade runner blade runner in this not blade runner is my question that's a fair question sure is uh I, I guess for myself, I was, I mean, uh, so for, for one thing, right? Like Deckard doesn't, I mean, he is an action hero, but he doesn't feel, it doesn't feel like the same kind of, I guess, like walk in a room and kill everybody in it. There's a lot of horror and, and kind of fear, I guess, surrounding and, and just the search. Um, I guess I would also add that like, that's, I guess my issue with a lot of cyberpunk media. It's like, Okay, Blade Runner. I mean, establishing a, a a visual language, right? Crafting not crafting a genre, but really, really doing it big, like is an achievement in and of itself. Now that we've done that, like maybe do a little more, right? Like let, let's go a step further. So I, I'm I didn't see the new Blade Runner movie either because I. I felt like I got what I wanted out of Blade Runner and I, I wasn't like, I wasn't really sure that a sequel in the modern day could do anything more than just sort of, apparently I missed out. Um, Brand, it's amazing. You have to watch I, it. I, I've heard good, but like I, when, when there was a sequel announced, right. Same thing with the show. It's like, I was like, what are we doing here? Like, are we really going to tell an, a unique new story or are we just lifting the vibes? Because so much cyberpunk quote unquote, just lifts the vibes. Right. And doesn't, doesn't really address the kind of underlying themes well in, in, in my opinion um and if we're just gonna if we're just gonna do another cyberpunk thing 
why have and we're not going to go deeper than what the 40 year old movie already did what are we doing here you know what i mean like what if we're if we're just going to if we're just going to go just as deep as the original film in in that sense like why make it at all like i guess that's my that's my fundamental like okay if this were if these weren't called the wallaces let's say that's the williams corporation and uh uh she wasn't a replicant she was a synth right we just call them synths like oh synthetics would it would that fundamentally change the work like really it's just another cyberpunk thing of which there have been many and i have been complaining about for years that's why i don't like cyberpunk when people are like oh it's cyberpunk oh check out cyberpunk 2077 it's just like ah you're just gonna what you're selling me on is somebody has like a has like a chrome arm and a like a spacey looking revolver and there's purple yeah. and blue lights like I see what you're saying, but I, I just don't agree. It it has, I got the same feeling that I got from, I mean, you have the scene where Joseph is doing the test on her and you know how he's kind of conflicted about retiring them, like the way Deckard was. Like I get, it's it's not just the terminology. The terminology has purpose behind it. The, you, you, you're, you say, you know, replace the words, but the, the titles they're given are purposeful to the narrative and they make sense in this storyline only as that you would have to do, I think, a lot more rewriting to take out the Blade Runner universe elements of it. And and additionally, this was made to to be seen with or without knowledge of the rest of it. I think that you can watch it. I think if you've seen the other two films, it enriches your experience, but it's not essential, but it's certainly adds a deeper perspective and a, a greater understanding of what you're seeing. I would agree so, with that. It, but it was supposed to be that way from everything I understand. That's what they, they wanted because, you know, that was probably the edict from on high if they were going to show it on television that they needed to have it be more flexible in that aspect. But I don't think if you take away those terms, if you change up that the, those messages, then it, it changes the narrative completely. It wouldn't have the same impact. That's what That's what makes it a part of the Blade Runner universe, in my opinion. Hmm. I want to hear what V-Lord thought, though. Like, you didn't say anything. What did you think about... Well, you were saying you didn't think it felt very Blade Runner-esque. So. Oh, yeah. So I guess, like, for me, what keeps Blade Runner Blade Runner is, like, the sense of ambiance, but also the fact that, like, a lot of the story is conveyed through that. And... In Black Lotus, I really don't feel that's the case because so much of it is just those, like, action scenes after action scenes. Yeah. And because Elle's not dwelling on what she's doing for very long, like, yeah, it, it happens for, like, small moments, but it's not enough. And I, I feel like, aside from, okay, we see Wallace Jr. lose his eyesight, I don't think it really does much to connect to the larger like Blade Runner like timeline of events because like it takes place after the blackout but we don't really see that much that happens like that was affected from the blackout it just feels like a normal cyberpunk world and you don't really see the impact that those events have had on Blade Runner mm -hmm. which it you know what might have helped in that regard is if there was other replicants just among the city 
that Elle had any interaction with at all. Yes! I, I kept thinking that. she was going to find another yeah. runaway or something. I was, like, assuming. like I, Never I just, happened. Someone in yeah. hiding. Yeah. Yeah, something. Like, I don't know. Never happened. I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm not disagreeing with any of the things that you say are positives, I guess. I just... And it's all in bounds, like, and it's all fine. I just... Oh, yeah. Maybe it's just I have seen a lot i don't know maybe i'm just, I'm no, just this weird has been yeah. really like thought-provoking for me because you guys made some excellent points and i i was thinking yeah you know they're right about that they're right about that they're right about that and i certainly think you know it's it's okay and and it's good to expect more if you're going to put this much time and effort into a series i think enhancing the story i, I complain about this a lot on the podcast that something that's good could be better if they just do better job with script writing and storyboarding. You know, I'm always right. saying that sketch is probably really tired of hearing me say it. And I think this was one, I'll give you a perfect example of, of the script in this that actually kind of drove me nuts. On episode 12, uh, Elle says to Joseph, he's, he tells her again, just let it go. And she says, again, we have to end this once and for all. And I swear I can count. I think she said that three other times we've had that same conversation and i thought that's just bad writing come on you can do better than that make that interaction more meaningful than just saying something we've heard because i swear when i got to episode 12 I was like this feels really familiar and i went back and i was like that's because they've had this conversation yeah. before <laughs> yeah and i i guess so for my to to me you know what sets what you know what is dystopia it is a personal horror right it's a personal inescapable horror it's not a ghost haunting your house and it's not disaster porn like an earthquake right the dystopia is this person is trapped in a system a setting a location whatever that they simply cannot escape and something has been lost in that process and of course the best dystopias let you know hey this could be you. It could be you right now, right? Like, like, look around you. Are you trapped in something, right? And so, but there has to be a sense of loss, right? There has to be, I, I just wish Elle, like, she's spent so much time, you know, getting, dramatically getting memories back or wondering, but like, and I, I mean, I, I like that the horizon is open for her at the end, but like, what is she after? Like, what is she going to do? Like, what? What does she regret that she's never done? What memories does she wish were real? Like there's there's some there's some openings here to have some heartache, like of a human, you know, like she doesn't even really sit, like I don't really feel like we even get enough time to hear her like lament that her personality is even partially fabricated. Like, you know, for myself, if I woke up and someone told me, hey, by the way, here's a videotape that has like a lot of your memories on it, like I programmed you. I would be ups I would like, I would spend a lot of time wrestling with that like but I have real emotions about it like but it's fake like there, there's even just some slow moments to really lament that um or with Joseph like I, I feel like that's such a great opportunity to tell such a personal story and a, like the singer is beautiful and she sings beautifully but like she's also living a life like maybe we should have explored like who she was more so we could really feel what was lost other than being an object of Joseph's affection and desire like who was she like it was a murder right like we as the audience understand it to be a murder and we need to see who was murdered other than kind of the lady in red like you know we know who she is to joseph but like and i, I mean there's kind of there's some subtext there which is like okay she can sing and make music 
that you know that there's there's a kind of a human spark there but you know a uh, an MP3 player can play music, you know, and is she just an MP3 player in a red dress? Like, no, show me who this person is. She can't just sing there all night. Like, but that dystopian element is, is lost. Right. Or I don't know. I just feel like there's a lot of opportunities to explore this kind of post-human transhumanist space of like artificial people who they themselves are, are convinced they're real. It's like, there's so much tragedy to explore there. And I think you can do that between the katana scenes. I think you can still keep the katanas and machine guns in the in the graveyards. I think that's all still in play. Um, and I, I like katanas too, but it's like we just don't get any of that, and so we end up with themes that are, at least in my experience, kind of well worn. Um, so uh, it's just I just kept expecting more. I guess I mean it wasn't, but the problem is it also wasn't bad. Like I don't think it's a bad show. Of all the complaining I've done, it's perfectly fine. Like, there's no, there, it's not. I, I've seen some horrible stuff week to week. Like, let me tell you, I know, I know what a bad show is. This God. is not a bad show at all. I think we all do, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, God, I mean, Lord, some of the stuff I get thrown week to week, I'm like, y'all, uh, who's the audience for this? I pray to God there's not an audience for this. But anyway, you know, like this is like there's nothing wrong with Black Lotus. I just wish there was more right with it. And I think it's all right there. I just like it just doesn't it, it it ends up being just fine. And that's a real letdown for me, I guess. Yeah, there's there's so much production quality put into this show and it just is let down by the writing. Yeah. I enjoyed it though. I think it definitely could have been better, sure, but I, I enjoyed the experience. I enjoyed the, the the themes that I got from it, at least, of, you know, the the non-humans having more humanity. Um, sure, they could have added more. They could have done better. They could have had more character development. Uh, but we, we say it a lot on this show. Uh, <laughs> that, not that it's not true, and it doesn't apply, but, but that doesn't, it didn't, it didn't take away too much from my viewing experience. I think I really enjoyed being able to revisit this. I remember watching the original film with my mom and a long time ago, and then being doing this now was kind of like it just getting back into that vibe, back into that universe, and getting the same feeling with a more updated, action-heavy. Like it, it, it flowed for me, and it was enjoyable. It was entertaining. Uh, so I think that I, I kind of, I can't help but wonder how this would have come across if it had been live action film, like a two hour film, how that, mm. might have, how that might've been if it had been, if they had taken this story and put it in, in, in that as in that instead, I, I don't know. I, but, but I do, I do like that animation is moving forward with better, choreography for action and exploring different ways of using CGI um, because I'm, I'm a big fan of different types of animation and being creative in that. And I'm also a big fan of elegant fight animation and elegant choreography for, for fight fighting and, and anime. So th those are the things that I, I got out of it. You know, I tuned in at Oh dark 30 to, to watch it and then went to it. So I got what I needed. <laughs> <laughs> with yeah, my glasses think, of wine because oh. there's never just one there's never just one 
Yeah, I think the fight choreography in this is a real standout and is something that the CG can do that is more challenging and certainly a, a different kind of time consuming for yeah. the more traditionally animated stuff. And you can do things with the camera and stuff that are, again, closer to a live action yeah. kind of vibe. And the, the I guess the character models, and this is one of those things, it's similar to what I said before, the character models are fine. The designs are fine. They look good. They look fine in stills. But when they move, they're they're good enough, but they're not quite there like mm-hmm. it's like like the hair does like when they're just like having a slow scene like i'm expecting like the hair the hair is always bad but yeah. it's a little they're like they kind of look like you know like when you watch like gumby claymation and the characters are kind of <laughs> stiff and kind of shiny you know what i mean like they're they're kind of they look a little beef jerky in the hair but when they're moving in the in the action choreography he's going you don't have time to look at that um so that's you know but like they they, they look really good but they're not quite good enough and they're not stylized enough right like there's not a whole lot of stylistic it's it's trying to go for a very kind of visceral like realistic look so when the characters don't have the same level of verisimilitude it kicks you out of it in those moments like oh i'm watching the show like i'm not getting sucked in because you know the the brightly colored hair strand on her left temple just looks like an icicle like i'm out you know and like that's Uh... that's frustrating um I think the show's visuals are probably at their best, either in the action scenes or, and this is something I've praised from the get-go, and I think they do the whole series, they really spend a lot of time doing this, big, chonky 80s tech. Like, yeah. the all the mechanical designs, again, Blade Runner, 80s cyberpunk, and like most kind of future-looking sci-fi from that time, it's envisioning an analog future where the computers just get bigger and bigger and bigger and doing more. And they have lots of really cool looking future retro tech with big chunky buttons and distorted screens and levers. All that is terrific. And like, it's really, really well done. Like they spend a lot of time and energy on that. And I'm like, man, those look great. Like they look real. Like I'm ready to reach out and push a button on the screen, which then of course (laughs) makes me a little sad that some of the characters don't have some of the same detail that like a keyboard does for like 40 seconds in one shot. But like, man, the tech looks really, really good. And yeah. anytime it's on screen, it's very distinctive, sets the mood, sets the tone, you know, even the generic stuff, kind of like uh, Wallace's mutagen lab, right. Where he's all, he has all the big green uh, <laughs> Ninja turtle tubes. Like even still, like the tech looks really good. The lighting's really good. And it's come on, it, come on. It's Dr. Giroux's basement. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> oh my <God>. Like, <laughs> you know, like, that looks really, really good. Like, bam, terrific stuff. And it, anytime the tech is in there, like you get a real sense of the world. Um, I, I, again, I wish there was more of it because we don't get enough of it, but that when it's there, like it, it looks really great and they spend a lot of time on it. And I think it pays off because it, like that is one of those ways in which you do know this is Blade Runner. Like you do know this is an older future property, right? Like we're looking into a future that is not, smartphone based and nanomachine based it's not Mm -hmm. you know implants it's you know the computers we had then what if they were bigger and had even more buttons like that's the future they envisioned right because that's what they had at the time so like in that sense i think the show is very appropriately blade runner because that fits a more retro sci-fi feel i learned when i was doing research for this that they based uh, neander wallace jr off of uh, david bowie which i love by the way that's fantastic <laughs> He's, huh. i love david bowie so i was like this is great <laughs> this makes me appreciate him so much more <laughs> i'm sure if i see it 
it's it's kind of the like well well apparently when he was when he was still alive they had reached out to him about you know using him to 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 help as inspiration for the character like they they wanted to include him so I don't I think I'm not talking about the animation I think like just the general character arc and style I don't think I don't think like it's the the look I think it's like the way he speaks you know the mm. kind of lyrical lilt to his voice the mm. kind of like not quite effeminate not quite masculine you know uh, uh, uh just the way he holds himself kind of arrogantly above the other people he's interacting with it's subtle things in the character and I'm like yeah I can I can kind of see that Mm-hmm. And then they they need they knew when they they when he died they had to find a substitute so they picked Jared Leto which I can't say without laughing sorry <laughs> hey he was good in the role <laughs> no he was he was it's just I just can't take him as seriously <laughs> no he did a good job he did a good job but. yeah yeah that like that scene was like you didn't even announce that a child is born. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> I will say I watched subtitled, so I didn't hear any of the dub voices. Um, oh, so that was maybe that colored my perceptions too. If you do it, just do it to hear Wes Bentley. Okay, he's okay. great. He's great. And then of course J- Joseph's uh, voice actor. I-, I just think he's incredibly sexy. So that may not affect you at all. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> we won't know until we find out. I mean. Let's, let's <laughs> Joseph just didn't look right when he didn't have like his beard <laughs> in the flashback. I was like, "Oh, that ain't right." Oh, sweetheart, do anything, baby. No, no. I just hear that that, that voice. Oh man, <laughs> it's a nice voice. It is a nice voice. <laughs> well, I think we've we've said all that really needs to be said at this point. <laughs> Sorry, I complained the whole time. I didn't want to. But. Hey, <laughs> hey really, you know. if you if you want to do an interview with us, I would be happy to have you on the show. In the unlikely event you or anyone who works for you is listening to this podcast, <laughs> us at the ladies' end of the Toonami Faithful would love to have you on our podcast. Just going to throw that out there. That's not relevant. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. Well, if you have uh, additional thoughts on what you thought of Blade Runner Black Lotus, these uh, last couple episodes and the series as a whole, you can email us at podcast at tunomifaithful.com. If some stuff is submitted, maybe we will, you know, read some of it on the podcast if it if it's thought provoking. So uh, give it your best shot. And you can follow us on Facebook.com backslash Toonami Faithful Podcast and on Twitter at Toonami Podcast. You can listen to our podcast on just about everything, including iTunes, Google Music, Spotify, and Amazon. And you can find every episode of the podcast to stream online at SoundCloud.com backslash Toonami Faithful Podcast. And you can get the latest news by following at Toonami News on Twitter and read the news, views, and reviews on ToonamiFaithful.com. And if you go to ToonamiFaithful.com and uh, peruse our website, you might find a link to Write Stuff. And if you click that link to Write Stuff and purchase something on Write Stuff, we get a little something-something out of that purchase. So that's a great way to support the site if you would like to support us in a way that you're really not doing anything other than buying cool stuff on Write Stuff, which they have lots of. Mm -hmm. so you could do that 
And if uh, you specifically want to help us out, you can subscribe to the Toonami Faithful Pass on patreon.com backslash Toonami Faithful. And if you do that, you get exclusive content like the full extended interviews from CJ's documentary, What Toonami Means to Me. And if you enjoyed that documentary, which already clocks in in about 90 minutes, you're definitely going to enjoy the extended versions of these uh, interviews that he did with uh, various uh, voice actors and uh, also some uh, technicians and other people in the industry. So with that, uh, let's allow our guest to plug his wares. <laughs> I promise. I promise. I don't complain about everything. I, I try not to be negative, but I've wanted. Sorry. All right. <laughs> um, so if you want uh, more of things of me analyzing media, uh, let's see. You can check me out. I write reviews for A and N. Uh, usually uh, weekly uh, anime stuff, but occasionally other things as well. Um, mainly One Piece and then a few other things. Whatever, whatever's coming down the pike. Um, I'm also on Blade Licking Thieves with uh, some buddies of mine. We sit on the couch and review Asian films and media. Uh, I'm also on the Super Senpai podcast with my buddy Pat. We watch Tokusatsu and also play games and stuff sometimes uh, and review it. And then uh, just started a new venture, another podcast with my good friend Paula adventure tomes where we analyze genre fiction for their role-playing applications and role-playing games for their storytelling applications and just kind of explore that space and you can also find me on twitter making just the worst jokes and just filling your feed with mostly cat pics honestly um at, at grant the thief on twitter oh yeah i heard that uh between you and me there would be a lot of dad jokes but i don't know if you've kept your end of the bargain <laughs> You know, I've been I've been dad joking it up on there for years now, and I'm getting a little. You know, sometimes it's just like the the void, the abyss that we all stare into. It just it just tires you out. So I hear that. Know, I just I hear that. post cat pictures and retweet art. It's a it's mostly art roles at this point. <laughs> and we will get along great because I post a lot of cat pictures. <laughs> yeah, what? Give me an at. We'll follow each other. Kind of fun. my thing. <laughs> <laughs> I have two cats and a dog, and they are my sweet sweet children. And you will Aww. see their faces repeatedly. That's nice. My babies. <laughs> oh, show us your babies. <laughs> I have pictures here. That's <laughs> when I unfold the picture roll in my wallet, right? Like, it just all comes down. <laughs> <laughs> he always bites when I dress him in this one, but he loves it. He just won't admit it, right? <laughs> we're having a uh, we're having a Bev big head off right now. <laughs> Ed! Ed, get in here! He's showing the pictures of the doggies. <laughs> and with some modification, it's Doctor Girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, oh, Doctor Girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, and with some more modification, it's Sanji from the Four Kids dub. <laughs> Sanji, hey. four, four Kids Sanji, and um, uh, who am I thinking of? Um, Joey, Four Kids from Yu-Gi-Oh. Just put the, hey, so if, if, if those two were ever like the, if those streams ever cross right it's game over for humanity like that's it <laughs> it just it's a singularity at that point hey you oh. too much hey, brooklyn in one place hey too, that is some serious brooklyn rage <laughs> just <laughs> hey, get Raphael from the ninja turtles in there too <laughs> or maybe this Raphael from the ninja turtles there's been many Raphaels. Also, watch Rise of the TMNT. It's really, really good. Oh, yes, it is fantastic. You can watch Excellent. it all on Paramount+. Plus. 
Oh yeah, of course. Or like CBS Super Positive, or what? You know, all these weird. Like, just put it somewhere where human beings can watch it. Don't don't give me that. Like, I think they specifically play it all day on the Totally Turtles feed of Pluto TV on Sundays. Listen to so. yourself. Listen. Okay, if it's if there's a winter solstice and you stand outside and you check Pluto TV, <laughs> every third frame is a frame from Rise of TNT. It's just like, yeah. No wonder that show got canned. They didn't give it a chance. Uh, that show really, really good. It's really good. It's really, really good. Not really related to Rise of the TMNT, but one of the writers on Blade Runner Black Lotus was Brandon Allman, and he was like the uh, story editor for the 2012 Ninja Turtles after, I think, the second season. Oh, that's a good show, too. That's a good adaptation. I'm sorry, we're now we're just talking Ninja Turtles, but that's a good, that's a good adaptation, too. All, most of the Turtle stuff is actually pretty good, except for the original from the 80s, which is not <laughs> aged well at all. Except for the first though, five episodes. Those are I, still good. Yeah, when I was four, I thought it was, like, the greatest thing ever, but in retrospect, it was not very good. Uh, <laughs> it knew what it bad. was. Yeah, yeah. The, the best the, old Turtles is definitely the, the arcade games and eating lots of pizza. That's, that's really the, the best. And the 1990 movie. Yeah, the 1990 movie is really good, too. Full of dad jokes. Tokusatsu, baby. That beautiful <laughs> turtle tokusatsu. Yes! I've secretly thought from there on out that arcades are just fronts for the Foot Clan. <laughs> you, can't be, you can't be making overhead off How do you know? Already. How do you know it's not? No, actually, the Foot Locker is yeah. the front for the Foot Clan. <laughs> it's so obvious, no one will ever check. Right, that's... <laughs> uh clearly i need to talk to you more yeah <laughs> you're like one piece you're like ninja turtles you're, yeah. you're, you're, you're my you brother from back. another mother you the takeaway the takeaway yep. of this is just grant is a blessing yes oh, oh thank you thank you for i being see here. i spent all this time being being a stick in the mud on this episode and just, <laughs> I, try, I try to be positive no 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 we already have someone for that you, you oh. were fine oh. <laughs> you were actually rational oh thank you <laughs> Yeah, yeah. There's definitely bigger sticks in the mud out there, oh. I assure you. But uh, we should definitely have you back on to talk Just about a, something you really I, like. I bought a twig. A twig <laughs> in the mud. <laughs> oh, sure, anytime. Don't mind me in my not-so-shady boots. <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> I love all our people, <laughs> I swear. Uh, speaking of cat pictures, Kuro, tell them where they can find you. You can find me posting a lot of my cat pictures and anime cats and cats and anime cats and writing about nothing, of none of those things uh, on DunahiFaithful.com. And uh, you can follow me at Happy Crow Kitty on Twitter. All right. And B-Lord, tell us about all of the crazy things you do. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, you can find me first on Twitter at B-LordGTZ. Then I write various things for all-comic.com as well as uh, the Tsunami Faithful website, and then the big boy podcast that I do is the Demon Slayer podcast on Twitter at DSlayer Podcast, and then I do a few other ones as well, Saturday Night Shoggy at Saturday Night Shoggy, uh, Oversoul Shaman King podcast at Shaman King Pod, and the Dumb Weebs podcast at Dumb Weebs Pod. <laughs> Dumb so. Weebs Podcast. I wasn't prepared for that. All the other ones were show titles, and then it was like, Dumb Weebs. At some point, you just give up. It's like I, I just love the, the title, ball. Adventure Tomes. That's that's great. That one, that one, I don't even know. I think Paula came up with that. It's a brilliant name, though. It's really great. I, I'm, I'm very excited. That's a really fun show. I think we, we finally discovered what we're doing with that one. 
exploring because like she's she's very new to tabletop role playing and i'm like i've been role playing since i was but a you know twinkle in my father's eyes so we're like kind of coming at these things from different different angles and and exploring them and stuff we, our first episode is lotus so we'll be we're, we're doing the first light novel and then talking about like D and you know and, and role-playing games and all that kind of stuff like how could you try to do lotus at your table like it's it's, it's a it's a fun fun discussion that's i'm guessing you watch vox machina then too we we talked about Vox Machina, and of course, then it was flipped because she's like really, really big into Critical Role, and I've only like watched just a little. So that you know, Vox Machina, I watched the Amazon Prime show, and it was it was a, certainly an interesting experience as someone who's not like I'm not like what do they call them critters? Is that what they call them? Yeah, I I, uh, I had a lot of fun with that. That was it was I never knew what to expect. It was pretty great. <laughs> <laughs> I like the the Percy stuff, the the guy with the pistols and the whole thing with his family. Like that was like that really gripped me. I was like, ah, there we go. Like that's really good. The other stuff was all you know, pretty standard kind of like D and D table rowdy people and body jokes and decapitating yeah. and vomiting in people's mouths. You know, I was like, ah, this is all just a, it's a D and D table but animated, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, the, the humor amused me. <laughs> I, I am amused. I will watch more. <laughs> yeah, if they've got more, I'll watch it for sure. It's it's great to be in a time when I can be like, what D and D thing will I listen to or watch? Because there's so much out there. Like, holy crap! Like, like the '80s is coming back with a damn. Like, I, I, yeah. it, the '70s actually didn't that come out? Didn't D and D come out in the '70s? Yes, '74. White box. 74. If you had told me ten years ago that D and D is going to be huge again in the media, I would never ever have believed it. Yeah, it's. <laughs> literally bigger than it's ever been i mean yeah. wow never it's, never would have believed that absolutely incredible and on that note sketch <laughs> where can they find you oh you can find me on twitter at sketch 1984 and with that i'd like to thank you for listening to this podcast and all of our other podcasts that you've listened to we definitely appreciate you listening to the podcast with that we're punching out